Hello, this is Jim Walsh, and welcome to my podcast called On Eagle's Wings. I think many people like it when things are settled. We work on something, and when we feel we've gotten to a certain point, it's finished, and we don't need to work on it anymore. Maybe it's a piece of furniture that we are restoring. Maybe it's a computer program we've been working on, or a spreadsheet we've been slaving over. Whatever it is, we want to complete it and then move on to something else. But with regards to our relationship with our Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, that relationship is to be regularly changing by growing and maturing. It is not something that is ever at a point where it is done and we don't need to work on it anymore. The Apostle Peter was inspired to conclude his second epistle by writing, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verse 18. We are to grow. We are to continue to give effort to our relationship so that it never fails. And yet, there is a belief in our religious world that teaches that one can come to a certain point and not worry because you can't be lost. In becoming a child of God, you need never fear falling away. Is this true? Today we begin part one of a lesson called, Can a Child of God Be Lost? Now, this teaching that we're referring to is often called once saved, always saved. And the concept is that once you are saved, you can't be lost. And this teaching has brought a great comfort to millions and millions of people. However, comfort is not the same as truth. And while we would desire to believe that once one has been cleansed by the blood of Christ and been claimed by God as his child, that it would be impossible for that one to be lost. And there are many arguments presented which convince a great number of people that this is so, that it's impossible for you to be lost. And so we hear that no one can separate me from God, seeing that God is the greatest power in the whole universe and there is no one or nothing stronger than he is, therefore nothing can come between me and his power. Nothing can separate me from him. Therefore, once I am in his care, I need fear no harm. And to many people this sounds logical. Another argument is that when one becomes a child of God, the Holy Spirit enters into that one and will not allow that one to sin in such a way that they might be lost. Again, this sounds good and presents one with a feeling of security. Yet before we agree to such ideas, we must consider what God says in his word. Does God say that it's possible for one to fall from his care? Does God demonstrate in his word in any way that there were those who rejected his overseeing and care, and thus face the consequences of that rebellion? Is it taught in the Old Testament? Is it taught in the New? Do we have any place where New Testament writers warn Christians about the possibility of falling away? Because if any of these things are so, 
then we cannot consider the thought of once saved, always saved, or as some refer to it, the eternal security of the believer. We can't consider that to be true as far as God's word is concerned. What does a child of God need to do in order to be saved? There are actions that you must engage in. Let's begin there. This will help us to understand the process that God establishes for our salvation. First and foremost, a person must hear the gospel preached, that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a pure and sinless life, and that he was God's sacrifice for our sins, dying on the cross, shedding his blood, that we might have remission of our sins. Jesus said he came to die for our sins and that we must repent of those sins and return to God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 that he came to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus himself said that there were those who were lost. He was teaching the people of Israel. He taught that part of what he did was to teach men of their need to repent, to accept responsibility for their sins and turn away from those sins. Jesus again stated that repentance was necessary. Luke 13, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Again, who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the people of God. At the conclusion of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is sending his apostles out into the world to preach, it says he commanded them to preach repentance and remission of sins, Luke 24, verse 47. In hearing that gospel message, it must include the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. Men must hear what Jesus did in order to secure our salvation. In writing to the saints at Corinth, Paul was inspired in his first epistle to them to write, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Thus, to preach anything else is not to preach the gospel message. We must convince people that they have sin and that they need to repent of those sins in order for them to see how serious sin is and recognize the seriousness of it by the fact that Jesus had to die on the cross for those sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered a cruel death upon the cross and he was buried, but then resurrected, just as our Heavenly Father in His Word had promised. So we see that all things happen exactly as God determined. In fact, Paul says that the concept of salvation itself was established by God before the world began. Listen again to what he says to the disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy, excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, when Paul was inspired to write, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world was created. Before the world began, God's purpose was to save men in Jesus Christ. That's because God knew what men would do, and so he prepared for our needs, especially the need to be saved from sin. Therefore, once a person hears the gospel and believes that message concerning Jesus Christ, they then are told to repent of their sins, recognize they have sin, turn away from that sin, determine to no longer sin. And then Jesus said, if we will confess him before men, then he will confess us before our Heavenly Father, Matthew chapter 10, verse 31. And then we find that the book of Acts tells us that in repenting of our sins and confessing Jesus as Christ, we are to be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's what the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. So now we find an individual saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We notice in all these things that a person has to take action in order to be saved. A person must listen and they must consider, they must hear, they must repent, they must believe, they must confess, they must be baptized. But we also notice God doesn't force anyone to do that. He persuades the individual through the preaching of his word. That's why Jesus sent his apostles into the world to preach, to teach, to persuade men, to convict them with the evidence of the scriptures. He tells us of our needs. He explains how he has provided for those needs. And then he shows us what we need to do in order to be saved. But it is always up to the individual to agree to obey God's will and be saved. And friends, it's always been that way. There is not a situation in God's word where he forces one to be saved and to stay saved. He has always allowed man to make his own decisions, even if those decisions are disastrous. How do we know that? Because God reveals it in his word. We can go all the way back to the garden with the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. God gave them a simple command. Do not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. For in the day that you eat, he said, ye shall die. Now it was their decision to consider what the serpent said and disobey. They could obey God or they could disobey. They disobeyed. And then the consequences of it were such that they were cast out of the garden. Paul, in writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, says that Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived in the transgression. Adam knew, in effect, what he was doing. The woman was deceived by the serpent, and Adam decided to follow along. Adam and Eve in the garden chose to disobey and were cast out of the presence of God. But consider it the children of Israel. God told the nation of Israel what would happen to them if they obeyed and then told them what would happen to them if they disobeyed. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Consider what is said in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commands which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God shall set thee on high above all nations. 
God through Moses told them that it was up to them in their actions to hear, to observe, and to do in order for them to be blessed. God would set them above all nations, but they had to act on his commands in obedience. But what's interesting about Deuteronomy chapter 28 is that the majority of the chapter outlines what would happen if they chose to disobey. Why? Why provide 14 verses dealing with what's going to happen if you obey, but then provide over 50 verses about what's going to happen if you disobey, unless God knew that man could disobey and depart from him? Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28 says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. God said the same curses which befell Pharaoh and the Egyptians would come upon any in Israel who did not hear and obey. Well, do you know? That's what happened. Not long after we have Korah and his rising up and rebellion against Moses. This takes place in Numbers 16. Korah was a son of one of the priests. He charged Moses and Aaron with taking too much control. He was able to persuade, it says, 250 princes or heads of the families of the tribes to agree with him. According to Numbers 16 verse 2, it says, and these men were not just run-of-the-mill, but the passage says they were men of renown, men respected by the congregation of Israel. Well, what happened to these men who rebelled against Moses? God destroyed them. In Numbers 16, verses 23 through 25, it said God caused the ground to open up, consumed Korah and all those 250 men that stood with him against Moses. Now, these were the children of Israel, which God personally directed by Moses out of Egypt towards the land of promise. But they rebelled, and God destroyed them. What about during the time of Joshua? Do you remember the situation in Joshua chapter 24? Joshua was old, and he knew he would soon die. So what does he do? He chastises the nation of Israel because they were not doing God's will. He tells them they have to choose to serve God. Consider Joshua 24 verses 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Joshua pointed out that they were rebelling against God and acting just like the people before the flood, just like the people who were in Egypt. But he said, you have a choice. You can choose today to start acting faithfully in serving God and receiving his blessings. Friends, there are many other examples that we could show from God's word. But someone then says, well, wait a minute. These were all under the Old Testament, and today... We're under the New Testament. We're saved by grace, and therefore we can't fall. Well, let's think about that then. Let's think about examples that we can find in the New Testament as far as this idea of falling away. 
and we're going to do that in part two. Once again, this is Jim Walsh. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast on Eagle's Wings. I hope you have a wonderful day.